Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Thank you so much for being here today on Move Like This. I am excited today to be talking to Avni Desai with Shellman. She is the CEO there, and they have been participating in the Accounting Move Project for a number of years. And I am very much looking forward to learning more about what they do at their firm and sharing some of the best practices that they have seen succeed. So thank you so much for being here, Avni. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Bonnie. Shellman is not your traditional accounting and advisory firm. So tell me about what you do and the types of clients you serve and what it is that does make you different. Sure. Well, so you're right. You know, we've carved out a niche for ourselves as a highly specialized CPA firm that only focuses on cybersecurity assessment. So this really sets us apart. So when you took a look at like the accounting today, top 100 list, um, we were 49 last year, and we are the only firm on that list who doesn't do your typical tax audit advisory services. So our primary revenue stream um, really stems from SOC 1 and SOC 2 attestation reports, which are CPA reports, and then an array of security-focused services such as ISO, pen testing, FedRAMP, PCI, and privacy. So we have an exceptional team of 500 professionals that operates were remote first organization. So all over the US, but we cater to clients really worldwide. But if you talk about like really what differentiates us, you know, I would say, you know, it's a two-pronged approach. First and foremost, our client service really distinguishes us from the rest. You know, we go beyond just like mere compliance, but what we do is we offer a comprehensive consolidated solution for all aspects of cybersecurity. So usually if you're a client, you would have to select few firms and to do the suite of services that we do, but we can actually streamline the process and deliver a direct return on investment for our clients because we have no conflict of interest. We don't do advisory work, we don't do audit work. So we just do assessment work. So this is really our value proposition. Reduce the friction, empower our clients with all the complexities of cybersecurity. But to me, I think what's more important, what really differentiates us is really our culture. And I think that's really what sets us apart. And I mean, in the last decade that I've been here, I think that's what really has propelled us to success. So we have really cultivated an environment that focuses on collaboration, innovation, excellence. And we've had a retention rate, you know, the last 12 months of almost 90%. And that allows us to one, keep people and, you know, you know, we're a professional services company, right? People are our business, but to be able to attract talent in our profession and to then take that talent to provide real value to our clients, that's it. That's like our secret sauce. But then also they're just, our team members really live on delivering exceptional results and like building a dynamic and inspiring environment. And that is really kind of permeate throughout all of uh, the firm here. I love that. And I would imagine that you actually, in some cases, 
spend a good deal of time partnering with other accounting firms and kind of a good resource for accounting firms as well as all the clients that you serve too. That's right. I mean, um, I think the best way to say is like, we're, we're not a competitor with um, the accounting firms, right? Actually, we have several accounting firms that are our clients. And then we actually refer business to accounting firms as well, because our clients will come to us and say, look, I'm going through an M&A transaction. I need someone to help me with this, or I need IPO readiness, or I need some international uh, tax work. And we really enjoy having that deep relationship with the accounting firms because we know the value that they're going to have to our clients. In looking at your recent Accounting Move Project snapshots, one of the things that really stood out to me about Shellman is how well you recruit and even more importantly in this talent shortage, retain women of color at your firm. In fact, half of the women at your firm are ethnic minorities. How and why do you think this has happened? I mean, is it truly by design or is it just a happy accident? So I'm going to say retaining women and women of color, it's not a coincidence, but it's been deliberate and purposeful for us. We have implemented several strategies the last five years and really went into overdrive when we hired our chief people and culture officer, Bhavna, on these initiatives, because I think this is why we have been able to see some of these data points, as like you mentioned. So one our recruiting strategy. So we have a recruiting strategy that specifically targets minority schools and actively participates in conferences that focus on women in tech. So we are going to um, historical Black colleges. We are working with the Association of Asian Professionals within the accounting industry, Latin professionals within the accounting industry. We're working with Executive Women's Forum. We're working with Black Girls Who Hack. I mean, So we're taking a proactive effort to seek out diverse talent in these spaces because we want to ensure a more inclusive and representative workforce, but we also need a bigger pipeline, right? Everyone's talking about, you know, the talent shortage, but how do you increase that pipeline to be able to say, okay, well, that's what we're doing, right? We're going out and we're increasing the pipeline to say, we need a hundred people this year, but we only have 80 people to look at. Well, can we increase the pipeline and have 800 people to look at? So then we do find the top caliber of individuals to come with us. So that's one. Our next is really our Shellman Cares program, which is the umbrella of all of our ERG initiatives. So we have Shellman Win, which is our women in network. And then we have Shellman Prism, which works on racial inclusionness. And so Shellman Prism and Shellman Win are really the commitment to supporting and empowering women of color. And these initiatives, I think, provide a platform for mentorship, networking, feeling like you're part of a community, professional development, fostering inclusive and supportive work environment, but then also really to have a safe space to talk, right? And I think that is so important in professional services, especially in a remote first environment, right? And so- I have been so proud of what Wynn and Prism have done to really foster this supportive environment. I would say two more things. So one, look, lead by example. Our executive leadership team is 50% women. So myself, our CFO, our COO, our chief people and culture officer, our chief technology and product officer, and three of these women are women of color. So this is diversity at the highest levels of the organization. And that sets a powerful example and demonstrates our commitment to providing equal opportunities for everyone at the firm. So, you know, I can tell you, like growing up, 
um, in my career, there were so many times that I didn't see anybody who looked like me. And I've been told, and I, I don't know if this is true, though, you might have to check that I'm the only woman of color who runs a top 100 CPA firm. And so again, like, you know, to be able to not have representation at that highest level, I don't think that inspires and motivates people. So to have that here, and we brought in the best people to do the job, I think it inspires and motivates people. And that's why we're seeing a lot of increased talent coming to us. And then I would say our last is the way we participate in the industry, like I mentioned. So Women in Tech, Executive Women's Forum, but these memberships that we're part of and how we work with schools on curriculum. There's a pipeline issue with CPAs coming into the profession, but there's also a pipeline issue with cybersecurity. So now we're looking for CPAs who have cybersecurity, right? There's a real pipeline issue. So our membership with these industry organizations really helps us start at elementary schools to say, what can we do to get more women, more women of color, more men of color, boys and girls of color to be excited about what we do and be excited about the um, accounting industry? Because we do a lot of cool things, especially like our niche um, information security audits. So, I, you know, I think a lot of that and there's a lot more to do. I mean, there is definitely so much more that we can do, but I think that is why we have seen really good success from a diversity perspective the last few years. I have two things there I want to follow up on because I do think that setting example in your leadership is so powerful because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with whether it be accountants or, you know, just young people entering into either the tech or the accounting profession who are like, you know what? I don't see anybody that looks like me in leadership. And I hear they're doing all these things, but is it really going to have an impact? And do I really have an opportunity to grow and become a leader in this firm? And I don't blame them. You can't talk as cheap in some ways. And I, I don't want to take away from what so many firms are doing to truly try to create a more diverse and inc inclusive culture. But you also can understand the other perspective in that if nobody looks like you or at any leadership level, then it is kind of hard to envision a future where that exists. Yeah. And then I would say, secondly, I am actually really curious. I know a lot of firms are kind of reaching beyond, say, the college level to the high school level, but you said elementary school level. So <laughs> what is it that you're doing at that level to try and create an interest in these professions with children? Yeah. So I think it's too late when you go to high school and college. I mean, especially in what we're doing, cybersecurity assessments, right? Because there is some level of excitement that you need to have, you know, coming into this profession and a level of technical expertise that you need, you know, the, no doubt about it. So parents ask me all the time, you know, what can I do? And I was like, your kids should play video games. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I mean, that is actually one of the things when it comes to if you want to go into our security practice, for instance, the playing video games actually is building something. How do I build? How do I get into systems? Like, how do I, you know, maneuver from one way to another? We do something called capture the flag before you can even interview with our security team. And it's like a video game, right? And so, you know, getting girls and getting boys of color like, excited about what we're doing 
it has to start from a really young age. And because that's going to build on it, they're going to learn how to do, they're going to learn how to code. They're going to learn to tinker with things. They're going to open up computers and hardware. I mean, that's not what I do, but that's what they're going to be able to do. And it starts this process and they're going to be excited about going into technology. And it's the intersection. You know, what we do is the intersection of technology, of business and of compliance, right? And you, you got to start earlier than high school. But then also we work with, um, we work with multiple programs. So we're working with the Cyber Foundation, Future Foundation, which we are going to hopefully help talk about what early education, so I'm talking about elementary school, maybe middle school, should have on their curriculum. And what are some of the things? Well, yeah, I mean, we should have a hacking class. We should have a coding class. We should have a class that talks about the importance of your password. Like all of that should be there. And that I think like starts, it's a catalyst to start that fire and ignite that fire of excitement. And I think then we'll start seeing a pipeline increase. I think so too, because I mean, really it's just creating an understanding of what these careers mean, because this isn't somebody they run into, you know, you hear so many kids that are like, I want to be a doctor or a fireman or a teacher. But these are people that they actually interact with or see where yes. they're not necessarily seeing cybersecurity experts in their day-to-day life. But they're living it, right? You know, one thing I did, I went to talk to my daughter's school and I said, they all play Roblox and Minecraft. And I said, you know, the people who make sure that your avatar is safe and that the money that you put in, that your parents gave you or that you earn to, you know, buy things is and the credit cards you use, it needs to go through a PCI compliance. And then like, they're all like, huh? like you're just bringing it down to their level and what mm-hmm. like, they're excited about and like what makes sense to them. Like, that's what we have to do. And trust me, I mean, it took me a while to figure that out. Like I, I have three kids. So like I talk to them every day about this. But when I started talking to them, it was very interesting. After the first time I left my daughter's school, the teacher calls me or sends me a note like, four weeks later. And she said, oh, we had, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she's like, half the class said cybersecurity experts. But I was like, and she's like, nobody even knew what that was. But I was like, yeah, it's just exposure at that young age. I love the, uh, that approach because you're right. We have to really start educating children about what these career options are. And I love the fact that you're going to elementary schools and doing it that way as well, or at least partnering with groups that are So another area where you seem to put a lot of focus is on pay equity. According to our conversation last year, you communicate pay equity across the entire firm, provide training and coaching for hiring managers, and have HR review all pay decisions to ensure that inequities don't creep in. So why have you put so much effort into this and how has it been received at your firm? I'm assuming in a positive way. Yeah, definitely positive. Pay equity really aligns seamlessly with our first core value, which is putting people first. So we believe that every individual that comes into our organization deserves to be treated with fairness and respect. And that comes, one of the major things when you think about that is compensation, right? And so there are a couple of things. So you talked about our structured decision-making process is one of the ways we prioritize people. So we have structured a transparent process for pay, clear guidelines that are documented and are shown on based on your role and performance, 
And this also helps to make sure that decisions that are made on performance are going to be unbiased and objective when it comes to their leadership. And also, this approach really respects the contribution and efforts of each individual, right? So that, I think, is probably the first thing is we started the structured decision-making process when Bhavna came in. And the second is, again, like leading by example. You know, we demonstrate our commitment to treating our employees with fairness and equity, and we recognize that people are valued and compensated appropriately, and this fosters that sense of belonging and motivates them to excel. So why we want to make sure that there's coaching for hiring managers, there's coaching for people managers, is because we want them to lead by example. And then the other one is really proactive measures. So how are we going to, if we do find places of pay and equity, which it's happened, we had a class that came in, we ran some analysis and we identified something that showed some pay and equity, you know, in month three. So what did we do? We, we called each person, we communicated to the firm, we talked about importance of pay equity. We ensure that our employees are aware of our com commitment for fair compensation. And then we provided additional training and coaching to our hiring managers. And this was definitely a mistake. And it was something that was overlooked during a process of transition. But we have to say, we made a mistake and we are sorry. And we are going to make sure that we implement this fair compensation practice. And that came from me and having that conversation and with um, our head of people. So all of these efforts, I think, really focus on pay equity. The data analysis is key. We do it for all bonuses. We do it for every time we're going to do um, it's compensation time. But it's also all of the things outside of data, right? That helps us create this environment where people feel valued and supported. But our second core value is about transparency and openness builds trust. That's what our second um, core value is. And so that is also part of this is how can we be very transparent about pay and compensation and how we do bonuses and what performance metrics are. And we take a lot of feedback from them. So it has been good. Again, it's our second year or probably going into our second year. And we now finally have good technology to help us with this too. And it's amazing how one unfair pay decision over time can become, you know, when you're talking about two people doing a very similar job at a similar level, and one being paid $10,000 more than the other one, even if all you're doing is percentage raises, that can become a pretty decent chunk of money. You're right. right? Yeah. And, and you're right. In year one to year two to year three, right? We started even at the hiring process. You know, someone may say, I want to make $70,000, but our range is 80,000. Do we say yes and say no? Like you come in at the value of where we see you. And I think that is something that a lot of people don't do, right? It's not a cost savings because at the end, what is going to happen? I mean, in year two, year three, this person has fallen so behind and it wasn't because of performance. It was because that maybe they didn't have the personality to negotiate on day one that someone else did. And that shouldn't be detrimental to their compensation. Right. And that's why a number of states have put laws into place that you can't ask, what did you make at your old job? Because that's where so many of the pay inequities start is, oh, well, we can pay this person less and they still feel like they're winning when it's just when people find out that there's such pay inequities that that's a pretty quick way to lose somebody. 
So one of the other things that I also loved as I was reading through your snapshot was the take five long weekend employee offering as a way to allow employees to unplug and deal with burnout, which we know and have discussed previously is just rampant in this profession. So tell me about what this program is and any others that you have to kind of help employees cope with that inevitable push and pull of work, life and work and work and life and why you put these in place. So we prioritize the well-being and work-life balance of our employees. And I wish we didn't call it balance. Like every time I think of balance, I think of like me trying to stand on one foot, right? I mean, it's never going to turn out well. Like it's really work-life integration. And how can we do that? Especially again, we're remote first, right? Organization. Most of our employees are working from home. A lot of them are working more than, most of them are working more than, you know, 40 hour week. And so we need to make sure that one, we understand the challenges and stresses that can really come from this push and pull of work and life and that we're implementing programs and benefits that are going to support them. So we introduced Take 5. I'll tell you why. You know, I've gotten so many phone calls and feedback about unlimited PTO. And so I decided to do a bit of research and we had 70% of our employees were either losing PTO because it was expiring or they're rolling over 40 hours or some level of PTO. Mm. And to me, PTO, like that is part of your salary. You should take all of the PTO. And I told the firm, look, before I can even think about unlimited PTO, which I think is a trap anyway, but we could go into that another day. I want to talk about taking your vacation. So we implemented take five, which is take five consecutive days of your PTO, and we would pay you an extra bonus to take it. So we decided to bonus people for taking an entire week off because it's essential for their well-being. And we encourage them to utilize, well, yeah, take your vacation days, go rest, relax, re-energize yourself. And I think we had maybe 15% of the firm, it was it for a quarter, take advantage of that. And so we'll do it again next year. It was very positively received. Uh, we also do things like summer Fridays where the firm shuts down at 3 p.m. local time to allow employees to enjoy a few extra hours of the summertime, minus if they're in Florida and you know uh, Georgia like you, they probably don't want to be outside, but gives them just a quick start to their weekend. Jumpstart your holiday. We've been doing this for a couple of years now where we close at noon before federal holidays. So giving time for employees to travel and they don't have to take their PTO for you know half a day. First time ever, we have always valued extended breaks um, and understand their significance. So first time we did Shulman summer break, which was the week of July 4th. We shut down the entire firm and even I like had a clean inbox, which was really exciting. But we have always closed for the two weeks during the winter holidays. And that has always been very special to our employees. We do mental health initiatives. You know, we have a great partnership with a tech-enabled app that provides mental health benefits in a virtual setting at any time, and even case management, volunteer time off. We do a day of giving, um, but we also give people 24 hours to do any type of volunteer time off that they want. And then, you know, we have floating holidays, flexible opportunities, good maternal and uh, parental and paternity leave, short-term disability, and so forth. But what we are doing is we are looking to continue to 
add-on benefits that is going to allow us to you know focus on our pipeline and really attract a more diverse workforce. So that is really you know what we'll be looking at for 2024 and beyond. I think every single one of those things is amazing. And maybe on one of these podcasts, we'll have to just talk at length about the whole unlimited PTO thing. I have uh, issues with that as well. And there's statistics out there that show that actually it's not as good for employees as it is to have a set number of days. And just these additional things, like I'm hearing more and more firms shutting down the week of July 4th, which I think is great because a lot of them do that between Christmas and New Year's, but you still have a whole year there and that's more of a quiet time of year anyway. I love the fact that you kind of, a lot of firms are now taking off two weeks, about six months apart, just to kind of say, okay, go recharge, do whatever you want to do. The firm is closed. So you don't need to be checking your emails. You don't need to be doing all these things that we kind of fall into the trap of doing while we're off anyway. So I love, love that so much. You know, I can tell you, I mean, having the two weeks off during the winter has always been great, but it's never like a true relaxation. Like we're hosting parties, we're wrapping gifts, we're have school plays. Like it is actually super busy, but I felt like the summer break, I read a book and we watched movies and we did a puzzle. Like it was really relaxing because there weren't any of these personal obligations that we have. And that to me, like I had to reflect on it to realize what the difference, like why I felt so great after this week versus, you know, the holidays where I'm still exhausted. And that's why, right? It's all that other personal obligation that you have. It's definitely slower from a business perspective, but this, I got like the best of both worlds. And I'm glad you got that time off recently. (laughs) So what advice do you have for other firms that are looking to expand their talent pipeline and attract women and really in general, a more diverse workforce? Yeah, I'll say a couple of things. One, ask, right? You know, we do pulse surveys and benefit surveys every year and we're asking people, what do they want? And there are certain things that I can tell you, I didn't even know, you know, like there are several women who said, well, I wish we had IVF benefits. Several women who said, I want to be able to have a more flexible work schedule. Like, we would not have known that unless we asked. And, you know, we kind of go through the process. Of course, yeah, we go through, we see what the cost is, we see what the benefit is. I mean, we do all of that, but asking, I think is really important and asking in multiple ways. So pulse surveys, which are one question, you know, what are you happy about? What are you not happy about? And then a formal survey, which goes out and says like, what benefits do you like? Which ones would you want, you know, in the coming years? And what value do you think each one of these benefits will bring to you personally? The second thing is also from a survey perspective is you have to ask people what they're passionate about. And we did this for the first time this year. And we realize that different demographics, men, women, age groups, where they live in the U.S., what service line they're in, there's people who are passionate about different things. And you have to harness that passion. So if someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm really passionate about helping you increase your social media because it's something I really like doing. And I know I'm an IT auditor. Well, let's bring him or her in and pair them up with someone in our social media um, and let them be passionate about something like that. And we realized once we asked those questions, we saw an increase in employee satisfaction among women and our diverse workforce. Just asking that question. I was the last thing is it's okay to look at non-traditional career paths. 
for us to be able to, we started the Shaman X program, which is um, bringing in college hires into Columbus, Ohio, and we bring them there for a year. And it's a really immersive program for the first year. It's not two weeks, not four weeks. It is a full year. And we brought in non-accounting majors, non-tech majors. You know, we brought in people with very different, diverse backgrounds. But we knew in this year that we were going to be able to provide them the skills that they're going to need to be very successful because it's such an immersive program. And we realized like, you just need a couple, like you need passion and you need vision and you need to be driven, right? You need to have good communication skills. Like there's these set of critical skills that you can't teach sometimes, but how did IT audit? You can definitely teach. And so again, like you have to be okay with going kind of the non-traditional looking in places, maybe you typically wouldn't look to expand that talent pipeline, because that's where you're going to find a lot of women and people of color and, you know, also, you know, neurodivergence. Like, I think looking outside sometimes to in places that you may not have looked is going to help with that. I think all of that is outstanding advice. And I, I really do like the idea of fishing outside of your own pond in a way, you know, because there are, so, and, and that kind of goes back to our earlier conversation about working with elementary schools, because there's probably still a lot of people in college that would love a career at Shellman or someplace similar, but just don't even know that that exists or that that is a career that they can pursue. I have to say too, the things that you're interested in at one point in your life may change drastically. So I could see you know, even maybe like second career people who knows what the driving factor is in a career change or changing what they want to pursue could be some of the best people that you ever employed. You're right. And we've seen it. We've actually seen that. And it has been very, very successful for us to bring on talent that maybe we wouldn't have had 10 years ago. Yeah. And that is part of what's contributed to you being so high on the list too and growing so well, I'm sure. So to close, I would like to ask you just a couple of fun questions because I always enjoy just getting to know people a little bit better. So when you were five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's so funny. A party planner. Like I loved watching show, like all those movies about party planning and wedding planning. And I still enjoy planning a good event. I may not be that great at it, but I do enjoy it. I bet you are. Or you could certainly audit one after you attended. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so if you were given the chance to travel anywhere you wanted to for free, didn't have to worry about time away or anything like that, where would you go and why? Oh my gosh. So my kids have expressed this deep desire to explore space. And we live in Orlando, so we can actually see the SpaceX launches. And, you know, their enthusiasm and curiosity has really found like, this newfound interest in me. So I'm going to wholeheartedly embrace the opportunity to embark on space travel with them whenever the time comes. I remember when I was growing up, I could see shuttle launches from my front yard or from my school parking lot or something like that. And it was something that was very, you know, you're like inspiring in a way. Interesting. So if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh gosh. You know, I would love to speak and understand every language in the world. Like I sometimes think about like how fun and unique it would be if I could like 
effortlessly communicate with people in any country, any region, like order street food from Tokyo and negotiate a price in a Moroccan um, street and like really have some heartfelt conversations with people in village, remote villages. Like I feel like it would open the door to like so many great adventures and connections and like stories that you'll never hear. It's like right now I go to countries and I'm like, gosh, like I can't speak the language. And you know, it's, you hear these passing conversations, I which I'm sure are amazingly beautiful. So like to really appreciate like the tapestry of humanity, I wish I could do that. That is the first I've heard somebody say that <laughs> one. And now I'm adding to the list of superpowers I would like to have. In part, I remember in college traveling to France and I used to be nearly fluent, definitely lost a lot of that since I'm not using it all the time. But this is not nearly as um, lofty as your goal, but it was really fun to be able to eavesdrop on conversations too <laughs> and occasionally surprise somebody when you could actually respond and they're like, oh, wait, this American <laughs> can understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here and telling us the story of Shellman and what a fantastic firm you are and that people first approach that has obviously been a huge factor in your success. So I applaud all of the efforts that you're making and really enjoy this conversation. So thank you so much for being here, Avni. Thank you, Bonnie. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Resick, and until next time, keep moving forward.